The countrywide protests against the Agnipath recruitment scheme are getting increasingly politicized with the opposition as well as some of the allies of the BJP including the JDU and Amrinder Singh and Punjab have openly criticized the scheme. Former Union Minister and Congress MP uh, Manish Tiwari is, uh, has surprisingly broken ranks with his party and has openly endorsed the scheme. In a conversation with me, Manish Tiwari explains why he is endorsing the scheme, why he thinks it's, it's a strategically an important uh, policy decision and how it should not be perceived as him switching sides and moving towards the BJP. Excerpts from this, this conversation in this interview. So Manish, are you, your reasons for supporting uh, Agni Veer, are they political or have you gone into the scheme and, and looked at it and you think it's good for India? Tell, tell me about it. I think there are two fundamental questions which need to be asked and answered. The first question is that what is the current structure of the Indian Armed Forces hmm. and how did it evolve? Hmm. And number two, what is going to be the impact of the current recruitment paradigm, uh, Agni Pats or Agni Bhi, frankly it's too dramatic for my liking, uh, <laughs> but uh, on the future of the Indian Armed Forces. Mm. To answer the first question, you really have to go back in time. You know, when the British started occupying India, they is essentially had three armies, the Calcutta Army, the Bombay Army and the Madras Army. Mm. and uh, these armies essentially consisted of upper caste Hindus. Mm. So in 1857, when the first war of independence took place, mm. uh, the Bengal army um, revolted against the British, you know, mm. Mangal Pandey and uh, the whole uh, paradigm in um, Merit. Mm. Uh, of course, you know, the British came out successful and were able to crush that uh, war of independence, but it completely and absolutely rattled them. Mm. And so therefore they were, uh, they decided to change uh, the stomping grounds of their recruitment mm. from what were the traditional areas mm. to entirely new areas. Mm. So in 1859, the British uh, set up something called the Jonathan Peel Commission. Mm. And this Jonathan Peel Commission identified 16 martial castes essentially those they thought had been uh, friendly to the British during the uh, first war of independence and a majority of them were actually located in North India. Mm. So between 1870 and 1945, that is the end of the second world war, mm. very very heavy recruitment into the British Indian Army mm. actually took place from these martial castes mm. and essentially between Delhi and the Khyber Pass. Mm which is also called the Punjabiization of the army in uh, Pakistan. Pakistan yeah. uh, in 1947, the partition took place mm. and essentially because we were a new nation trying to find its feet, mm. the entire recruitment paradigm continued as mm. earlier. Mm. That is bulk of the recruitment from the martial mm. caste. In 66, when Jajivan Ram became defense minister, yeah. he actually tried to bring in or he brought in what is called the recruitable male population policy, which essentially is that the recruitment into the armed forces would be, would depend upon the ratio of the population of a particular state in the population of India. Yeah. But 
it never really got seriously implemented and uh, you know traditional recruiting areas like punjab haryana uttarakhand jammu and kashmir mm. because of the manner in which the regiments were structured mm. continued to have you know a very high degree of uh, inflow into uh, the indian armed forces mm. and that's why punjab despite having 2.2% of the population of the country contribute 7.5% uh in terms of pbors uh, to the indian army haryana despite having about 1.9% of the population mm. contributes 5.05% uh to the indian army you know so does uh jammu so does parts of uttarakhand himachal pradesh mm. so these have always been the traditional catchment, area. uh, catchment areas uh for recruitment mm. but uh somewhere around 1975 when the vietnam war ended mm. you know uh, in the united states of uh, america there started a conceptual thinking process initiated by uh, the then secretary of defense donald rumsfeld mm. right in the ford administration that what should the future of the armed force be like because the nature of warfare is completely changing mm. and so he set in place certain building blocks for the transformation of the us military forces mm. which then uh, were followed through mm. by almost every successive administration and finally brought to a culmination by rumsfeld again when he became uh, defense secretary uh, in the bush 43 administration mm. and it essentially was that you require a lighter footprint mm. you require a more more mobile army you require an expeditionary army and this template has been followed by militaries around the world you know mm-hmm. china started the process in 1985 they have repeatedly right sized the pla currently also they are in the process of right sizing the pla bringing it down from uh, 20 lakhs to 10 lakhs because in an informationized environment mm-hmm. right where you are increasingly talking about uh every domain being a battlefield including mm-hmm. space including cyber uh you're talking about contactless warfare drones etc mm-hmm. so therefore you really require a very nimble and an agile armed force mm-hmm. which is technology heavy mm-hmm. and reliant on state of the art weaponry mm-hmm. now in the indian context especially after this orop got implemented Hmm. you know out of every rupee that you spend on defense 25 paisa goes towards pensions uh in addition to that 64% of the entire pension spent to the government of india is only defense pensions right now every rupee that you are spending on pensions and on salary and on personnel actually takes away from defense modernization expenditure on capital uh, expenditure so there are a number of reasons why you know reforms are essential mm. now this particular reform this agni pas or agni veer which mm. is you know a four year tour of duty mm. has been under contemplation going back to the kargil review committee of 1999 you know mm. the kargil review committee recommended that the age profile of the army uh, of the armed forces should be brought down mm. it was 30 at that point in time it is 32 now 
endorsed by the group of ministers mm. in fact uh, i given to understand even the narish chandra committee whose report never became public which was set up by dr manmohan singh mm. that also uh, retreated that uh, recommendation so this has been in the works for a long time now mm. what is going to be the implication of this scheme see mm. the navy and the air force are relatively smaller forces right mm. they as as are are smaller in terms of personnel but very cap mm. capital uh, intensive mm. in terms of ships and aircrafts it mm. is the army mm. which is the largest employer out of the three services mm -hmm. now currently the indian army is 14 lakh strong mm. so about 60000 people retire every year mm. right mm. so if you look at a 10 year horizon 6 lakh people will retire so mm. this brings it down from 14 to 8 lakhs mm. you know if you add uh 4 1/2 lakh people will be recruited over 10 years mm. that brings the size to 12 and a half mm. and then four years down the line right uh from the 4th to the 10th year that is 2026 to 2032 uh, mm. you will have 2 lakh 2500 uh, people who would be retiring if i give you a ballpark it is uh, about 2 lakh 2500 people will retire in the 6 years between 2026 and 2032 that is about 33750 people every year so essentially over a period of 10 years the size of the army from 14 lakhs will come down to about you know 10 lakh 50000 right mm. which that is the right sizing which will take place mm. and so therefore the total attrition over these 10 years mm. is going to be about 3 lakh 52500 people mm. which is about 35200 people a year or 2933 people a month mm. you know this is rough uh, back of the envelope now you have 10 central armed police forces mm. you have 36 state and unitary police police forces mm. so what the government should have done is when they announced the scheme mm. they should have created a statutory or a mandatory transition you know from the agni veer agnipath scheme into the central police forces mm. uh, and the, the 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 state police forces because eventually you're just talking about 35000 people being absorbed you know every year so 35000 people spread across the country mm. is not even is 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 less than 800 people a force mm. right mm. and these are all trained uh, are trained people which the forces will not have to expand upon and the the good thing would be that once this transition happens mm. then they will be looking at a permanent job till about 58 or 60 years of age with all the attendant benefits mm -hmm. so so uh, you know on balance mm. this is not a this is not a bad initiative because a it will bring down the uh, the age of the armed forces number 2 mm -hmm. for the central armed police forces and the state police forces they will have trained uh, human uh, material available mm -hmm. you know who they will be able to absorb and who will have capacities and skills which uh, usually are not there in the central armed police forces and the state police forces mm. so i think the government if it would have been a little more savvy it would have thought things through mm. communicated it properly would have had this situation on its hands mm -hmm. which brings me uh, to the to a little more political question of uh, 
why do you think there is so much anger on the ground i mean it's just been announced uh and uh, the navy chief is on record saying they did not anticipate this level of uh, unrest what what well, is i think the unrest is symptomatic of the larger problem of unemployment that is confronting the country hmm. see going back to demonetization in the uh november of uh, 2015 hmm. right in november of 2015 or 2016 you know november of 2016 you know there have been a series of missteps hmm. with regard to macroeconomic management demonetization a very very hastily implemented goods and services tax hmm. right so even before covid 19 the economy hmm. wasn't really in the best of shape uh, hmm. if i remember correctly in h1 of 2019 2020 mm. you know credit offtake was down by almost 87% which mm. is from 736000 crores to just about 87000 crores i mean mm. which is indicative that you know there was uh, no value addition taking place in the economy so what you are seeing in terms of protests mm. is the general uh, the, the the general angst among the youths Hmm. about not having avenues of employment and so therefore for a large number of them hmm. and i completely empathize with that this hmm. was a stable career path that hmm. you would get in you know you would stay for 14 years at the end of 14 years you would get a pension you would get medical benefits you would get hmm. other uh, and, and 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 that's a very legitimate aspiration because this hmm. uh, this this particular uh, uh, pathway or career pathway was available mm. but if you wanted to transition you know for mm. uh, reasons which at least in the strategic uh, uh, world are very 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 well understood mm. then you also need to sort of augment the economy mm. so that there are enough uh, employment avenues employment opportunities mm. which are available mm. so i think these these protests are symptomatic of something far far more fundamental hmm. and which is the largest specter of unemployment because i think if you go by the cmi numbers you know 40. we are we are about about 8% hmm. and even in that 8% you know the rural unemployment is much more than the urban unemployment hmm. 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 Uh, all this is the specter of uh, people going back to agriculture all of this doesn't speak for a progressive economy absolutely because you see manrega demand has been at its highest you know even after uh, you know covid has receded to a great extent so 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 that's something which the government uh, will have to watch very carefully because that's a ticking time bomb mm-hmm. just one question about the economy and then we can I, i'll ask you one more political question is uh, you talked about uh, the series of missteps etc and we had the first budget after uh, covid and so what do you make of the of the downsizing sizing of the of the social uh, welfare schemes including maganrega also cutting down of uh, expenditure even on health uh, and and then talking about higher capex and so higher capex does it come from the government does it come from the private sector because we've not seen any increase in, in demand in fact uh, in fact you ask a series of very interesting questions and you see you need to go back to 2019 again hmm. so after this government came into existence finance minister presented a budget hmm. right 
two months later she presented another budget mm. where she lowered the corporate income tax yeah. to an effective rate of about 22% mm. you know thinking that uh, that it will uh, kick start the economy mm. right then covid happened and these people uh, decided to uh, actually give loans rather than you know grants which had mm. been given all over the world mm. but neither did the earlier decision of lowering corporate income tax nor the subsequent decision of uh, extending credit lines that did not fire up the economy mm. because uh, till the time demand does not pick up mm. and what covid has done is that it has brought about a structural change mm. in the manner in which people consume mm. because the covid uncertainty is still there mm. and so therefore people do not want to indulge in unessential expenditure you know mm. i think that's one of the major reasons why uh consumption demand is uh, is, is is not picking up mm. number 2 you see there has been this k shaped recovery mm. whereby in uh, the 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 corporates mm. you know have kind of profited during uh, covid 19 yeah. while the mid sized companies mm. have have really sort of uh, mm. especially the msme sector has really suffered mm. so therefore uh, under those circumstances government by trying to hike capex hmm. or public expenditure hmm. which in fact uh, they did even in the previous budget it was 29.4% i think they've taken it up to 35% hmm. but it has not kick started the economy hmm. and and so therefore there is this classical uh, catch 22 hmm. because till the time manufacturing does not expand hmm. there will not be employment opportunities hmm. and there will not be manufacturing will not expand till the time there is no demand mm-hmm. so there is a classical chicken and egg which has happened mm-hmm. and this government unfortunately has been clueless as to how to break out of it mm-hmm. and that is mm-hmm. you know adding to the frustration and the angst on the ground mm-hmm. when you are looking at this kind of uh, intensity and scale of the protest how come you're breaking ranks with the party line i mean your party no. is sort of uh, see uh, demanding a rollback of the of the scheme look when i uh, look at national security or when i look at uh, strategic affairs mm. uh, i try and look at it in a completely non partisan manner mm. in fact you know my recent book uh, on uh, the 10 flash points which india faced in terms of its national security mm. challenges over the past 20 years mm. you know has been critical of decisions which have been taken by various administrations across those mm. uh, 20 years mm. uh, whether they were uh, there was a administration or b administration mm. so when i looked at uh, this entire shift in the recruitment paradigm mm. and uh, cognizant as i am of the conversations which have been going around on this and the developments which have taken place globally Mm. uh to me personally uh it did not really make any sense mm. uh to oppose it in the manner in which it has been opposed i'm not making a value judgment on why people have done it and in fact one of the chapters on my book mm. you know extensively deals uh with defense reforms etc mm. and all this uh is something which i have extensively talked about and written about mm. you know going back to the time when i used to serve on the standing committee of defense even during the upa government mm. so so 
so therefore there is nothing political in the stand that i have taken hmm. i mean i have taken this particular position primarily because i think from a national security vantage point it hmm. makes sense hmm 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 because some people would perceive it as you getting close to the bjp on <coughs> issue well uh, this is a question which i am asked uh, every time that i have a position which uh, hmm. uh, is at variance with uh, what may be the official line of the congress party that uh, you know when are you joining a party or b party and unfortunately or fortunately i continue to be where i am <laughs> so 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 therefore this is a kind of a non sequitur question but but you know i would very very seriously want to urge the opponents of this particular recruitment paradigm mm. that there is also something called the short service commission mm. when we were in college short service commission used to be a five year affair mm. right a lot of my college mates course mates mm. actually got into uh, the officers training academy in madras and then you know served five years and came out and transitioned to a civilian life of course now it's been extended to 10 years mm. and that short service commission was actually brought by a congress government mm. so therefore if you are opposing this four year tenure mm. you know how come you are comfortable or you were comfortable mm. with the entire five year short service commission for program for officers yeah yeah for officers mm. but don't you think they should have made it five years like this four years i really think it's a bureaucratic little penny pinching thing my uh, sense saving gratuity you know my 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 if you honestly ask me i would have preferred that it would uh, it uh, it should have been 8 years right and the reason why like I the americans have yeah uh, the reason i say that is because a uh, a lot of concerns with regard to you know <clears throat> the efficacy of these people their integration into units hmm. the fact whether they would be uh misfit cogs in a war fighting machine at the ground level mm. would all have been addressed had mm. you just you know kind of expanded mm. uh the uh duration of service because mm. for example a uh, kid coming out at 21 mm. or somebody coming out at 25 they mm. can easily transition into another force mm. in fact under the current recruitment mm. you serve 14 years so if you get in at uh, 18 mm. you come out at 32 Hmm. right and after 32 also people go into uh, the police and into hmm. paramilitary forces etc hmm. so therefore uh, a 8 year tenure was something which was easily doable and i think the government should should seriously consider that extending that ex- extending it to <coughs> so 8 years yeah so besides this suggestion of extending it to 8 years would there be concrete suggestions you would make for uh, for uh, tweaking the scheme no you see uh, in addition to that i think uh, you know if you can uh, there should be a gratuity element to it mm-hmm. right uh, there it can possibly be dovetailed into something uh, on on the lines of the new pension scheme mm-hmm. etc so therefore there are various things which can be done mm-hmm. while maintaining the explicit objective of lowering the age profile of the armed forces mm. about right sizing the armed forces over a 10 year horizon or uh, so mm. uh, and 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 a number of these issues which have completely unsettled the uh, landscape mm. can very easily get addressed mm. right